How can I make money in the music business? Why copyright? Should I make a CD anymore? Trying to break into the music and entertainment biz? Wondering how the business works? Wondering how guys like Elton John and MC Hammer go bankrupt? Why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the university's music business faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the music management program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks, right? Mine's direct deposit, I think. Welcome to Music Biz 101 and more. This is the, fle- would you say, what's another word for first, inaugural fledgling? This is the inaugural show with Professor David Philp and yours truly. Dr. Stephen Marconi. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Stephen Marconi uh, of the United William Patterson uh, Network of Music Management and Pop Music. And we are here for the next uh 15 years every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. to talk about the music industry. And we have some special guests with us every week. And Dr. Marconi, why don't you give us a little rundown on what we're doing every week here at 8 o'clock? Well, first, I think uh, we should say that this program, we hope, will evolve into sort of a public service for musicians of uh, any genre out there that have questions about the music business. And we hope we can answer these questions through call-in and Twitter and so on. And we felt that we should uh, probably highlight a guest every week. And this week we have Steve Leeds from Sirius Radio and an adjunct at William Patterson University. And we also thought we should actually highlight a student. And we have this week Sue Ahn, who is graduating, had graduated graduated in December, uh, and she's here to um, give her input as well. So that's really what we're going to do. Every week we're going to have sort of a um, different subject, and this uh, week with Steve, of course, we're going to be talking about the record industry and radio, and then the uh, evolution into non-terrestrial radio. Uh, Next week we have Michael Harrington here, who's a expert witness on copyright law, and he'll be playing some examples of uh, infringement cases and so on, and we'll have a different student. Uh, The week after that, we have... By the way, you just said so on, and that is not to be confused with our student guest today, Sue on. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Why? Yeah, that's... that's Who's here on the 19th? And then we have uh, Rob Quick, Dr. Rob Quick, who is the program director and lord of... Brave New Radio, WPSC 88.7 mm-hmm. FM. Followed by... George Dassinger mm-hmm. of DassingerCreative.com, own media marketing communications company. Correct. Followed by Carl Guthrie, Carl with a K. Right. Carl, who Esquire. is Esquire. <laughs> that's right. And he is a entertainment attorney, 
mm-hmm. and uh, also a ninja. Then uh, between that and uh, I think there's a week off, then Aaron Van Dyne, who's the business manager for KISS, Dave Matthews Band, John Mayer, mm-hmm. and so on. Boy, it's a great show. I hope I get to listen. Yeah, it's, right. it's going to be a tremendous show every week. We, this will become a podcast as well. And we had a great promo, which has been getting played about 24-7 on the station, mm-hmm. which you heard at the top of the hour, the 8 o'clock hour. And we're very proud of our promo. And in fact, we are, uh, as Dr. Marconi mentioned at the end of that promo, as sort of an ad lib, we're getting paid a lot of money to do this show. Mm-hmm. A lot of money. Mm-hmm. And you're going to hear it. You're going to hear just some tremendous... So the question is, why would anyone want to tune in to these two guys? So why don't you talk a little bit about your background? My name is David Philpin. My background is I am a graduate of William Patterson University back when it was a college, graduated class in 1990. I have a master's degree from Pace University in marketing management. I've worked in Polygram Records, Universal Music Group, I've worked in the home video industry with Polygram Video and New Video. I've worked in radio with uh, Greater Media, which includes locally WDHA, WMTR Radio. I've started up uh, a few different companies. I had a, a one project, actually, that was going to be aired on HBO before Ben Affleck got bored with it, and then that died. And then uh, also an uh, active drummer and also put together uh, music charity events around the state to raise okay. money for good causes. So Great. that is and professor of music management right, and popular music yes at William Patterson University. Great. Dr. Stephen Marconi, tell us why would anybody want to remember. listen to you? I really can't. No, in the early seventies I was signed to Columbia Records and also took part in the uh, managerial aspects of the group that I was with. It was a group called Jam Factory. And we were very fortunate to um, go around the country, open up for the great acts of the early 70s. And uh, one of the reasons why I got interested in teaching uh, about the music business is because as a mus- musician, I was told just to play my music and leave the business to other people. And by the time uh, we were sinking beyond control and trying to take a hold of the career of the band, it was actually too late. So I actually fell into starting the first program, uh, and I think the second program in the country, but the first program at Syracuse University, where I was a a graduate of Syracuse, and I stayed there for 11 years before I came down here. And we have our student guest, Sue Ahn, and she wasn't picked out of a hat. Actually, there was a reason we asked Sue to join us, and why don't you tell us what you've been doing? Well, Well, now that I've graduated college. I actually just recently started my own blog, uh, sueonmusic.com. So it's a unique place where I have experienced music education along with the music business. Uh, While I was at William Patterson, I had an internship with a leading nonprofit organization called Little Kids Rock. Uh, While I was at Little Kids Rock, uh, I was able to travel internationally with them be a part of fundraising events. We've raised over $1.3 million together. Uh, My internship quickly turned into a job and uh, I had a fantastic time there. Right now, I am in a unique position where I'm able to give my experience as a music educator, but also my experience as a administrator in the music business world. So I've been doing things like branding, 
how industry executives can take advantage of music education in the world and uh, really grow with the kids of today, mm -hmm. such as social media. Good. Great. Did you graduate in four years? I graduated in four and a half because I had uh, two degrees. I had the music management one and I had a bachelor's in music education. So I'm a certified music teacher to teach in New Jersey public schools. And a quick question for you. What During the uh, your music management experience at William Patterson, what would you say were some of the one or two better classes that you took that you felt really helped prepare you for when you got out of school? Well, one of my greatest memories was with Dr. Harrington. Uh, when he was here, I took an intellectual property class with him. So I learned a lot about copyright and a lot about fair use and that's so important as a music educator mm -hmm. because you know we don't really get to learn about copyright and the importance of it and mm -hmm. what you can and kind of can't get away with the gray areas so i love being able to help other music educators who don't even really think about copyright when they're copying sheet music for their kids great all right. Well, we are listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Uh, you, we will be taking calls very soon at 973-720-2738. You can tweet your questions at Music Biz 101 WP. We will be right back. We are back. Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC. Taking questions very soon. Give us a call, 973-720-2738. You can tweet us at MusicBiz101WP. I'm Dave Philp here with... Steve Marconi. And we're also here with... Sue Ahn. Who is our student co-host for the week. And we would like to introduce our big, important, fancy guest for the week right now. His name is Steve Leeds. Steve Marconi, why don't you do the uh, quick intro of Steve Leeds? Yes. I've known Steve for... 40 years or Syracuse days. And uh, I take no credit for his tremendous career, but he was in one of the earlier courses that uh, we taught at Syracuse, not having any idea what we were doing. We were just teaching about the music business. And I started at the ripe age, I believe, of about um, 27 years old. So I was only a few years older than um, the students that were in the classes at that time. So for that reason, I was uh, the professor as well as someone who was learning from the students as well, uh, students also. So Steve, why don't you um, just talk about a little bit American University as an undergrad, then Syracuse as a grad, and then what? Well, I started uh, at American University uh, to get interested in the entertainment industry um, I lived in the dorm with two other guys, and one of them was a little active, and on Friday nights his girlfriend came over, so I had to find another place to hang out, and it became the campus radio station, huh. which uh, <clears throat> I was, back in those days, it was uh, rip and read the news from a teletype, right. and uh, clawed my way up the uh, uh, managerial ladder at uh, WAMU AM, the campus current uh, carrier current station, uh, to eventually become a program director and eventually station manager upon senior year. I was fortunate enough to get a job working for um, a well-known New York disc jockey who transplanted himself down to Washington, D.C., a fellow um, who made his reputation in New York radio as the fifth Beatle, befriending the Beatles, 
when they first came stateside. His name was Murray the K. Murray the K, yes. And uh, I worked for him, and I worked part-time at the Voice of America as a foreign language producer, uh, producing propaganda back in that time for the uh, Vietnamese and Cambodian uh, news services that we were pumping out overseas. Upon graduation, um, I worked at WHFS Radio as the all-night jock, making a princely sum of about $60 a week after taxes, and decided this really stunk. I didn't really want to do that. After graduating, my faculty advisor at the time said, why don't you go to grad school? <laughs> I said, are you out of your mind? I just completed four years. I should go more. No, 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 no. This is a good school. Um, it's a little late because it's the summer, but you should apply. And so I said, where is this uh, wonderful place? And he said, it's a, it's a new house school at Syracuse University. So I, okay, I applied and was put on the waiting list. Uh, miraculously, I got accepted, and I gave the station a 30 days notice, which they were livid because, no, Steve, we're going to make you a star. You stay here. <laughs> anyway, went to grad school at Syracuse, where uh, I met uh, then uh, Dr. Marconi. And upon graduation at Syracuse, I needed a job. I went back to work with Murray the K uh, at WNBC Radio. He was back in New York. Learned that Atlantic Records was going to have an opening because the guy that was working there was a real screw-up. And he really didn't do his job. So um, I was wandering around the city, and I went to the Warner Communications building, and I was wearing a suit. And I and get in the elevator, and there's the guy who ran the college department. He sees me in a suit, and he starts laughing, <laughs> just chuckling. What are you doing? Because last time he saw me, I was wearing a tie-dyed shirt and right. doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And uh, <clears throat> he said, we might have a job for you here at Atlantic. And I kind of knew what was going on. And... I had my intention was to go to Warner Cable, so the cable business. That's an exciting experience. Anyway, so they interviewed me, and the question was, um, "Where do you live? Do you have your own car? Do you know anybody at WNEWFM, which at the time was the big rock station right. in New York City?" Right. And I said, "Yeah, I actually know the music director. He had helped me out uh, in college with a couple of things." And he said, "Okay, um, go go to our branch in Carlstadt and meet with the sales guys." And I did that and came back and. I was told to call uh, the head of promotion, a guy named Dick Klein, and I called him, and he picks up the phone and goes, Steve? Yeah. Okay, well, the Led Zeppelin record, you know, I can't seem to spread it up in Boston. Uh, that song, Dire Maker, is just not connecting with radio. He goes into the speed rap, and I let him finish, and I go, uh, Dick? He goes, yeah, I go, it's Steve Leeds. Oh. <laughs> he thought I was Steve Weiss, who was the manager of Led Zeppelin. He goes, right. oh, kid, kid, you got the job. You start Columbus Day, $250 a week in expense account. Uh, come on by. Right. And so I became the local New York promotion person for Now, were you, were you aware of what promotions meant at that time? Well, I, uh, the part I left out was when I worked at, when I was at Syracuse, I was a college rep you were a college for a, rep. a label called United Artists. Mm -hmm. We had wonderful repertoire like Sleep at the Wheel, uh, Can, uh, we had The Move, and our big hit was uh, the Electric Light Orchestra Rollover Beethoven. Yeah. Um, so you knew what ra radio promotion was? Yeah, I, I was pretty familiar with the nuances of it. <laughs> and here, I was getting paid $250 a week to take out some of my favorite New York radio air personalities. Mm -hmm. I, was like, I get to take them out to lunch or breakfast. It doesn't cost me anything, and I get to hang out with people who I grew up listening to. Hey, this is a pretty good job. I like this. <laughs> and eventually, I clawed up the way uh, the corporate ladder and became uh, head of uh, rock radio promotion. And after about four and a half years, I got bored and started my own company. I left and started my own company, and I 
promoted album rock radio in the Northeast. Now, um, crawl, crawling up the ladder in those days was, were you, um, were you given credit for merit for things that you did, or was it very political? Where it just no, it was, no, it really wasn't political, and I was naive enough to be oblivious to it. I mean, I'm working with people like Jerry Wexler mm-hmm. and Ahmet Erdogan, um, legends, uh, Arif Martin. Um, so, for example. Uh, the big thing in New York was to get a record played at WABC. Mm-hmm. That was the big 50,000-watt station that really mattered. If you got a record play there, the sales would increase and go crazy. But they were very difficult because they would check retail stores as far away as Pennsylvania to see what was selling and gauge most of their airplay on retail sales. And, of course, I figured out a way of uh, messing with their system. And one of the records I was given credit for breaking was we had a cover record. There was a band in Spain called Barabbas, and they had this huge song that everybody thought might be a hit in the States called Hijack. So Atlantic signed the band, buried the record, and had Herbie Mann record a cover of it. Herbie <laughs> Mann, the jazz flautist. Yes. Flutist. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get that played on WABC. I'll forget the, going to the boss's office, he's a smart-ass college kid, because that was my name, because I went to college. And he goes, uh, oh, what, did, what did they do over at ABC today? I said, they added Herbie Mann. Get out of here. That's impossible. Get me Herbie on the phone, who was the seasoned veteran independent promotion guy. He goes, holy, we got to change everything around. (laughs) Now, this was during the disco era, and it was a disco song. And then we had Consumer Rapport, which did a cover of the Wiz's Ease On Down the Road. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a lot of the spinners, um, had a lot of dance records in in addition to their, you know, urban pop records. So I, I was fortunate enough, WABC, I was able to get a lot of records played. And at, WABC, uh, and at WNEW-FM, I really befriended them and became friends with the program director, Scott Muni, mm-hmm. to the point where one day uh, the Stones deliver their album with Tumbling Dice. And Mick Jagger's in Ahmed Erdogan's office. And he wants to hear it on the radio. What does it sound like? I've never heard it on the radio. Mm. Now, Scott Muni had just played it maybe 20 minutes ago. Steve. <clears throat> Mix in the office. Uh, he, he wants to hear uh, his. <laughs> well, they just played it. Yeah, but, you know, it's Mick Jagger. Okay. I call up on the hotline, and Scott, and he goes, Okay, fats, I'll do that for you, but you're going to owe me. <laughs> so, and it was always a game with Scott Muni. Back then, they'd do live reads of commercials, and the big retailer was Corvettes. And Corvettes would always, These exciting Atlantic records on sale this week Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, the Yes. Rolling Stones, Bette Midler, Aretha Franklin, Steve Leeds, and the Spinners. And if I didn't call when he mentioned my name, he knew I wasn't listening, and I was in deep doo-doo. <laughs> now, let me ask you just about radio, uh, because we're talking, so we're between 77, 79? No, early 70s. It's earlier than that. Yeah. So we're 73? 70, 74 through 77. At what point did... FM start taking over because you said uh, WABC, WABC was you know fifty thousand watts. That was the big kahuna. Well, if you, right. If you want to sell album rock, you went to either WNWFM or the much more tighter controlled at the time WPLJ. Believe it or not, was an album rock station. Mm-hmm. And WABC really moved a lot of singles. And the singles, hopefully, if you sold enough singles, it would lead to album sales back then. And, and whole de- different dynamic than this. And WINS was still. No, no, WINS back then was a um, was a news station. It changed already, and it had changed in the in the uh, '60s. But uh, right. the other station was WPLJ. I mentioned, um, and then it was the big station um, 
for dance and urban was WBLS with Frankie Crocker. Right. Right. Um, also, before when you bring up WINS's music, WMCA had been yes. a big music station. Yeah, but as they well had they had the they had gone religious by then. So the only other pop station in New York at the time was um, 97 WWDJ here in Hackensack, New Jersey, which is now uh, The Answer, which I just found Joe Piscopo was doing mornings there. Really? Yeah. Gee, you didn't know that. <laughs> no, I didn't. Gosh, I, nobody seemed to I know Joe Piscopo. I actually was looking for Joe last week. Dr. Steve Marconi is good friends with Joe Piscopo. Well, not good friends. Well, you've good. met him. Yeah, we're so, friends. Yeah. <laughs> So carry on, yes. So I'm carrying on. So um, I started my own independent promotion company, and uh, Rounder Records employed me to work the George Thorogood record. I was the only independent working that, and it was moved, the album, second album, Moving On Over, and that became a gold record. Um, I was hired by Mellencamp at the time. It was John Cougar. Uh, my first record I was hired was Ian Matthews, a song called Shake It, yeah. and I was just rolling it in because no one else had done that before. There was guys who were doing pop indie work, but I was doing album rock, and I represented stations from Maine to Virginia. And I was, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was making a lot of money and breaking a lot of records for people and getting a lot of airplay um, and was very successful. And then the uh, payola hearings, first, first level of payola hearings or the second one, came down and everybody stopped using independence. And I was like, okay, now I'm screwed. Now what do I do? I had, I had uh, sublet an office with the uh, Stiff Records organization. Um, so I had an office. Um, which ironically turned out to be in the same building where Atlantic Records started at uh, 234 West 56th Street, right above Patsy's Italian Restaurant. So um, I got um, a couple of opportunities. One was working for Lieber Krebs and Kenny Laguna, and they hired me to oversee some of their records at the time. It was Aerosmith and Joan Jett and uh, ACDC. They had a, a great run. And then I was working with a little small indie label and blah, 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 blah. And I'll fill that in after this brief break. That's right. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and More with Dr. Steve Marconi, Sue On, our special guest Steve Leeds. I'm Dave Philp. Call us 973-720-2738 or tweet us at MusicBiz101WP. We will be right back. We're back, Music Biz 101 and more on WPSC Brave New Radio 88.7 FM. We'll be taking your tweets at Music Biz 101 WP. Follow us there. You can also give a call. We'll be answering questions very shortly at 973-720-2738. Our special guest today is Steve Leeds, who is VP of Industry Affairs for uh, Sirius XM Radio. And Steve Leeds, I have a quick question for you, if I may. Yes, you may. Uh, tell us... Um, I, I found an interview that had been done with you. Uh, it's going back uh, early internet days, but uh, you had said that Murray the K, yes, the Fifth Beatle, taught you a lot about relationships and that the music industry was a people-based business. Can you kind of get a little bit deeper into the people, the relationships, the type of personalities, and how it's important to get along? Well, everything's about relationships and particularly in the entertainment industry, specifically the music industry. It's who you know and how long you've known them and what you've done in the past. Um, I'm astounded every day that people I run into at SiriusXM who I haven't seen for 10, 15, 20 years who are still involved and, and doing stuff and come by and there's a level of trust and camaraderie that just doesn't exist when you first meet somebody and you shake their hand. It's just like, 
oh, we did that together. Oh, that was successful. That was fun. And, and Murray, when he was down on his luck, he was able to sell advertising to people who felt a sense of obligation to him or a sense of like loyalty and say, he helped me all those years ago. He's doing his radio show down in Washington, D.C. He's asked me to buy some advertising. He's going to be supportive of my music. Why wouldn't I do that? Mm -hmm. And there were people over the years who he just befriended. Uh, I remember him emceeing a show with, at the time, you know, he, he mattered. Today he still matters to a certain extent. Is Tom Jones. He had had a relationship with Tom Jones going back to its first song, It's Not Unusual. Um, I remember that the head of promotion at Apple Records, a fellow named Pete Bennett, was very uh, respectful of Murray. And when the Bangladesh album came out, he made sure Murray was the first person to get it in Washington, D.C. Nonetheless, I remember flying up to New York to pick up a copy of the Imagine album. And, you know, be before anybody, and I also remember one day walking into his office and him handing me an acetate of um, a, tra a couple of tracks from the Sometime in New York album. So he had those relationships with those people a long time, and they didn't forget. And so, you know, he was able to premiere, if you will, in the Washington market, things like Bangladesh or the Imagine album. Or um, I remember David Gates, when Bread mattered, and mm -hmm. David Gates put out his first solo album. Electra was like, oh, let's get that to Murray right away. So people were always on him um, because they had that long-term view. And that's the thing. I think you can play your life or your or your career short term take all the eggs out of the goose now or leave a couple in there to fatten up and remember down the line that you know there's opportunities that you don't see now but might be there later so don't burn relationships and don't try to do everything now because a, a famous uh, tip sheet writer Cal Rudman mm -hmm. still around said to me one day, to my brother and I were in his office, he goes, you guys, look to your left, look to your right. Be surprised who's staying and who's just passing through. I think you can um, apply that, because uh, a lot of what this show is about, and this is our first show, Music Biz 101 and More, is uh, we are college professors and we do teach about the music industry. And you will see classes, and Steve is an adjunct professor, sometimes you'll see it as well. Within a class, you'll see, have some students who are speaking and who are being... Uh, open and, right. and, and you know uh, participatory and some students who you go through a whole semester and they'll never say a word do you think that's any indication of future success for a student do you think a, a classroom would be a great place for a student to practice stepping outside of their comfort zone and saying something and, and getting used to speaking and having some personality because you need that in the music environment in the business or is it just a crazy question and I should well, have Well, there's always crazy questions, but there's always <laughs> crazy answers. So the answer to that is you take advantage of any situation you have, and, you know, um, you can be a raindrop or a waterfall. So if you want to sit in the back of the class and listen and take notes, and maybe you're a musical genius and you're the next prince and you can pull it off, God bless. But unlikely because this is a business of failure. I mean, not, over 90% of the music that's released fails. It, it's just a fact. I mean, the only industry that has a greater or a similar rate of failure is the toy industry. So I would take advantage of any opportunity given to me. And if I'm in a classroom environment and I have a professor such as yourself who's willing to have a participatory environment, 
I'm going to raise my hand and be a real pain in the ass and always be vocal. And I might be not right most of the time, but at least you'll know I'm there and I'm not going to be some guy sitting in the back of the room, you know, doodling. Sue, did you take that? Uh, oh, I was a pain like... in the butt. <laughs> I was the pain in the butt. I, I raised hell. Um, yes, I would say, but but you were most positive than, you know, there, you, there was a method to your madness more than just being a pain. I like to push buttons and then see what I get, you know? Good, good, yeah. Okay, Steve, where were we? Well, well the, you know, the one thing I want to add to that, um, Kenny Rankin, who's unfortunately not with us any longer, musician taught me a very important tool, and I've used it as a guide in my career. He said, I, I, I used to be a junkie, but I've learned a lesson, Steve, and that is you always tell the truth. That way you always keep your story straight and don't have to remember, did I tell Dr. Marconi that or did I tell him? Mm. Well, whatever the truth is, I can tell it. And I think that's extraordinarily important in any industry, but particularly in an industry, the music industry, where a lot of stuff is done because people know each other and it's about relationships. Yeah. So as far as uh, my uh, um, <clears throat> checkered career goes, uh, after... Um, working with uh, some management companies, I was offered the opportunity to program a TV station in Newark, Channel 67, Channel 68, Smithtown, Empire State Building, UHF, pre-cable in Long Island, Bronx, Queens, Staten Island, and this was, the idea was, it was a TV station offered scrambled movies, so we want to convert it to a music video format because this MTV thing is catching on. At the time, MTV was a powerful marketing tool playing music videos. So did they have the idea to go to music videos? Or so they said you... they, came, they came to me and said, we want to do this. Um, certain record companies will not give us their music videos unless we have somebody they feel comfortable with. You were told, we were told, you're the guy that can help us. So here, come on out here. We're going to pay you $1,000 a week. Um, if this gets sold or something happens, you'll get a month's severance. We want to be on the air this Saturday. Now it's Tuesday. So show me the library. <laughs> go downstairs and this is cavernous room with big gray steel shelving. I said, where's the videos? Oh, you're going to get them. <laughs> so no budget, no staff other than the production staff, no announcer, no on-air hosts. I, I inherited a sports announcer and uh, Uncle Floyd and his puppet Oogie. <laughs> and uh, we, put it, we put together a thing called U68, and that lasted for about uh, 18 months. And while I'm on my honeymoon, I get a phone call that uh, they just played um, Jason and the Scorchers song, video called Shop It Around, it had been converted and sold to the Home Shopping Network. So I come back home from my honeymoon unemployed. Uh, unbeknownst to me, an MTV executive was living in a non-cable building, had watched it as a, was a former WNBC air personnel and knew me and offered me a job. He said, we want somebody to work with the VJs to improve their on-air performance. It's not a full-time job. It's a consultancy, but and that converted into a full-time job at MTV where I was put as director of on-air talent. I was responsible for replacing some of the original VJs uh, at the time, which mattered. And so I was basically a talent scout for on-air hosts. So I was fortunate enough to identify some really interesting people who have gone on and had many successful careers. Uh, there was a weather girl on a UHF station here in uh, New Jersey, uh, in Secaucus, um, on a Latin station, and she was doing the weather. Her name was Daisy Fuentes. And I brought her in when we launched MTV Internacional. Um, they told me I needed to find a female uh, VJ in Los Angeles. Um, so I tried a couple of people. Uh, I was at a showcase, and the club owner said to me at a comedy showcase, he said, look, I, there's this other girl. She's kind of not the most telegenic, but she's really a pain in the ass. You'd do me a favor if you could stay for a, a sixth audition just as a favor. And I said, okay. So my wife and I are there. 
And uh, <clears throat> she was the best. She was the best. Unfortunately, she did a lot of blue jokes at the time. And um, at the end, she came up to me at the table. My wife's sitting there, and I'm drinking my Diet Coke, and said, so what do you think? I said, you were by far the best person here. By far. So she says, well, then who do I have to blow to get this job? <laughs> and my wife looks at me, I go, well, you don't have to. You ever come to New York? Yeah, I'm from Long Island. I'm dad. My dad's out there. I'm there all the time. It was Rosie O'Donnell. And of course, you know her career. I, I was hired Adam Curry. I found him hosting a Dutch TV show. Um, I hired uh, a guy who was an NYU student. And when Mark Goodman or any, one of the original male VJs was sick, I'd call him up, say, you know, they'd get $400, come in for an hour and just record links. Who was that? So I brought him, he, he would get a car service and a script. It was really easy. It was Adam Sandler. So did... Um did American Express have a role in No, this is long this? gone. They were long gone. This was owned by Viacom totally so, at that point. So who was the boss then at that time? Well, Tom Freston was the chairman of the company mm -hmm. and the head of programming at various times, but it was mostly Lee Masters, um, who then went on to work at E. Right, right. Tried bringing Howard Stern on as a, as a VJ. That uh, failed miserably from management's point of view. You did bring Don Imus on. He wasn't. Were you there when Don Imus was a VJ? On oh, that VH1. was on VH1. That was, and they had Scott Shannon. Yeah, right. no, that was that was before me. That was before you. Yeah, they, okay. VH1 kept changing. They couldn't find anything, so um, they moved me into into international, which is like being put out to pasture. Right. And they forgot to tell the international people that there was somebody mucking around in their world. That was me. They got really upset, and it sort of became like, we don't have a place for you. So I was fortunate enough to get a job as head of alternative radio and video promotion for what was then Polygram Label Group, where you and I somehow bumped heads possibly <clears throat> over the years. Um, and that was great. And I got wooed away by Doug Morris, who I'd worked with at Atlantic. He was starting a new label called Rising Tide. It was going to be a small boutique label. Mm -hmm. And after telling him no, they came back to me, and I realized I was looking at gift horse in the mouth. It was wrong. And I should take the opportunity, not knowing that Polygram was about to be sold to the parent company, which was at the time was MCA. MCA buys, owns Rising Tide. Doug Morris is there maybe a month and a half. He kicks out, the, or they kick out the chairman of MCA, and Doug becomes head honcho of the whole thing, and my job changes. All of a sudden, I'm not working at a boutique label. I'm the, I'm the guy who's overseeing what then became, and is today, Universal Republic. So he, he actually gave some energy to MCA. Well, MCA at the time was known as the Music Cemetery of right. America. And nobody, took, they had, they would put out albums, records, and every year they would drop the list price. They literally had budget albums, albums, vinyl back then, $1.98. So every year prices would go <laughs> down. That was their great marketing strategy. That's how messed up they were at the time. And Doug brought, you know, some stuff in there that was, uh, you know, really made the difference. Um, so even in those early days, he, as he is today, he knows how to sell records. He's singularly, you know, he, he, he knows how to run a company better than anybody. Look what he's doing at Sony. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of the smart guys. You, you can talk about Clive Davis, who has a whole different approach as A&R, but Doug Morris as a record executive is the top dog, has been, and will continue to be. And I guess we'll be back after you say this. Yes, we will be right back with uh, Music Biz 101 or more on WP 88.7 Brave New Radio. Calls and tweets coming right up after this break. We are back. Wow. Listen to that. 
This that is hitting Class. the core demographic that we Class. that we definitely wanted. We're at Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio WP 88.7 on your FM dial. And we are at the point of the show. By the way, I am Dave Philp with Dr. Stephen Marconi. See. And Sue On. Sue On. And Steve Leeds of Sirius XM Radio. What's an FM dial? A dial. I had a radio show here in 1987, and we used to say on your FM dial, and I think uh, it had a transmission range of about 17 feet back then. But a dial? What's a dial? You actually you, you twist the little thing, and it moves the little thing across so we can get to uh, 88.7 oh. FM. It's right. uh, it's You wouldn't understand it's from before your time, Steve Lees. All right. Uh, we have calls and tweets to get to, and our first tweet is a good one from Sierra Binondo who asks Steve Leeds this question to us at MusicBiz101WP. For students who have barely networked before outside of local music scenes, where can they start? Well, I would say a great opportunity is internships. I think it's the greatest way to weasel yourself into the uh, world of entertainment. You meet people and, you know, I see interns and they don't take advantage of the access. It astounds me. They'll just go through their daily routine of what they're supposed to do and they're, you know, learning things. But the thing they haven't learned is you're in a place where you can walk into the chairman of the president's office and say, hi, I'm an intern here. I'd like to know more about this place. What do you do? Nobody's going to throw you out. They're going to be surprised that you have the chutzpah to do that. I think that's a great opportunity if you want to meet people. I think that's the easiest way. Get yourself involved in an internship at whatever entity you like, whether it's a booking agency, a management company, a record label. And, and Suan, did you have something to add to that? I was going to say conferences. That's where I've done the most networking. Uh, when I went to NAM, I've done Millennium Conferences. I've done uh, Future Music Coalition. Every time I go to those things, you know, that's another opportunity to get an internship. So I've met pe- all different types of people from all over the industry. A, a great place also is LinkedIn, which I think uh, not enough college students are using. And my master's students from last semester hate me because that's all I talked about last semester. But LinkedIn, I've actually made money and I've made tons of connections from LinkedIn. And that's a great one. And while we're on LinkedIn, another tweet for Steve Leeds from at Pizza Chelsea is, hey, has Steve been able to utilize social networking such as LinkedIn with his music biz relationships? And if yes, how so? Um, I don't think I've had to use it of use to me, but I think people have uh, interfaced with me using LinkedIn. Um, just recently, a former coworker of mine, when I worked at Virgin Records, she and her now husband started a new business and thought it might be something that would be of use to SiriusXM, and she found me through LinkedIn. Otherwise, I guess she would have to find me through Facebook, but I think the more professional way is is through LinkedIn. But as far as me, uh, I haven't, I've been blessed that I don't have to seek people um, through LinkedIn. I'm certainly um, not afraid to acknowledge people. I get between Facebook and LinkedIn, I get tons of friends requests and I kind of try to be nice about it. And people I actually have some sort of knowledge of or relationship with, I acknowledge that. But if somebody sends me an email or something and says, I need to know so-and-so, I'll connect people, you know, if they want me to. I have not had a lot of those, but I'm happy to do that. 
Great. We're, we're taking phone calls. Uh, Enki Be- Bello wanted to, us to repeat the phone number. It's 973-720-2738. And we can take tweets at at MusicBiz101WP. I have a question for Steve. Do it. Uh, the number of jobs that you had uh, is fairly common in the music business? Um, well... I don't, I don't. I don't know if there's anything. Com- I mean, I don't know if there's anything common. I know this is Phil Cordero, who was president of a couple of labels, said, "If you're at the same job for more than two years, you're a failure." Something to that effect. So, so now, my, now, my brother worked as a college rep for CBS, became Sony, and he was there um, up until recent times for over 33 years. It's it's amazing. And that too. that's 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 exceptional. Um, yes. I think you know. The guy who was the independent promotion man in New York once said to me, you want a safe job, Steve, get out of this business. Go, go teach. Mm-hmm. Well, Sorry. The, the, no, but the... <laughs> but he said, he, said, he said, you know, this is not a business. But that, I want to bring... I mean, you're going to get bounced around and, you know, like an alley cat. Yeah, I want to bring that up because... Even you... Doug Morris. He talks about when he mm-hmm. got fired as chairman of Warner for nothing, nothing wrong. It was just new. You know, that's right. the other thing. Right. Relationships. So the new relationship came in. Doug Morris wasn't part of that relationship. And he got thrown out on the street. He developed a new relationship with a guy, Edgar Brofman. They started another company. Right. So it's, it's well, all we, about people. The, the, I mean, the um, college teaching business, if we have more than three jobs in our career, then we're known basically as hoppers. As we jump from job to job, like uh, Cornell West, who was at Harvard, then at Princeton, now he's at the Divinity School, I, I think. And and those guys, they're, they're stars, they're superstars, they're rock stars. But it seems like when you're in the music business, there's, there's nothing there's nothing held against you if you were someplace six months and you left and you went someplace else. And, yeah, and, and I don't, so I don't think so people look at that as like instability uh, or, or, you know, not... Not good. I, I, when I when I left Universal to go to Virgin, it was very difficult. It was I'd been there with Doug and Monty Lippman. It was seven seven years, and I am getting hit left and right from the folks at Virgin Records. You got to come over here. You can make a difference. We're moving the operation from the West Coast to the East Coast, and I mean I'm telling you, people who I considered close confidence were like, "You really need to do this." Mm-hmm. It was very very difficult. And when I went and and asked Doug, because I was under contract, he goes, I'll let you out, but you need to know something. This, this is a smart guy. He says to me, if you don't like it, you can come back. Huh. And I said, excuse me? Don't make me repeat myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. So the cardinal rule I broke, and I regret it to this day, is it's not about the job. It's about the people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize what a bunch of maniacs I was going to work with at EMI slash Virgin. I had a fa- I had a family over at Universal. People got married. We went to people's weddings. We went to people's funerals. Mm-hmm. Wasn't like that at all over at Virgin. It was very very different. That, that's that's great. And we have a call, don't we? You're on the air with Steve Leeds and Music Biz 101 and more. Hello, Professor. This is Tanki. I'm a pop, st- uh, pop, pop music student. And uh, this is a really nice radio, actually. I like it. Everything that you guys are saying is really helpful. Well, so I just you. have a question to Steve. Yes, ma'am. So 
you said that this is a business of failure, unfortunately. So um, you said it's 90 percent fail. So what is the key to being among the ten percent that are successful? Um, having a hit song, and you'll say to me, "Well, how do you know you have a hit song?" It's something magic. It's something like bottled lightning. It's something that hits a responsive chord inside you that you can't really quantify. So A, you have to have thick skin. You have to accept discouraged and be dis- and accept the fact you're going to be discouraged at times and you have to persevere and you have to believe. Cuz there's many many success stories. You know, the thing is keep throwing us back cuz I guess I'm an old guy, but the Beatles were turned down by every possible label before they were signed. So you have to understand that Lady Gaga was signed to Island Def Jam, recorded an album. L.A. Reid heard it and went, no, no. He let her go. Katy Perry was signed, uh, I think, at Columbia Records. Nope, no, we don't hear this. Nope, let her go. So understand, you know, everyone has an opinion. They're not necessarily right. But if you want to do it, you go for it and you keep going for it and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You got to follow your dream about the Beatles, by the way, is besides getting turned down from every label in England, they also had to go to another country to actually learn their craft and spend about 17 hours a day playing over and over all this stuff in Hamburg, Germany, before they could even come back and say they were good at what they did. Yep. So for those of you out there who are thinking, well, it's, I, I wrote the greatest song. I'm just doing what Steve Leeds did. I wrote the best song. It's, it's done. And, you know, maybe you just learned how to play clarinet two days ago. Well, well, there's pop music and there's rock music. So pop music can go in and contrive something in the studio. If you're fortunate enough to work with somebody like Benny Blanco or Max Martin or those guys, Mm -hmm. they can craft a a, a hit song and make you or me a pop star. You know, uh, there's that documentary that shows how it does it with auto-tune and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you want to be a successful long-term career band, then you've got to pay your dues and go out there and tour and tour and tour. Back in the days, it was like, put out a record, we're going to be successful, the record gets on the radio, and then we go tour. No, it's the opposite now. It's upside down. You have to build a constituency. You have to build a team of players on the road. Well, it was even true that Lennon and McCartney, you know, wrote their first song together in 1956, and it didn't have a hit till 62. So I try to tell students that all the time to come into my office and, well, how long has the band been together? How many tunes have you written? And so on. I, I remember that the, the band I was with, Jam Factory, when we worked six sets a night, six nights a week for an entire summer, we took another level up. I mean, we became a band at that point in time because you're just, you're working that much and you're trying to get rehearsed and write material during the day and you're just totally engulfed with it. And you're, you're paying dues because you're there till 2.30 in the morning, sometimes with nobody there, but you're working. The Beatles had an advantage. They had a great creative team. They had a fantastic manager who knew the game yep. inside out, came from a sales background, and they had a brilliant producer who mm-hmm. really doesn't get as much credit as he should because without them, they would have been just another pop band, and he really gave them a, an image and a sound. Yeah. We, we have another phone call. Mike. Mike. What's your question, Mike? Um, my question is basically for everyone that's in the studio at, the, at this moment. Uh, as a person, um, well, first of all, um, I've been hearing, I've been watching the radio show, uh, I mean, listening to the radio show throughout, the, throughout tonight, and uh, I've been hearing a little tidbits of talking about um, 
well, you know, you have to fail before you before you go. And even about talking, being the guy in the front of the class that speaks up for anybody else. Um, and uh, what's really getting uh, to me is, is, you know, there's only so many years you could see, you could be in college and whatnot. And uh, my question is, um, is it better to dip and dive between learning tidbits of things to take with you or stay on one definite path throughout the entire thing? What do you want to do? That's what's important. There's no rule. It's what, you, it's what your dream is and how you want to pursue it. You're looking for us to give you a roadmap. There is no roadmap. you got to decide what works for you. Yes. Very true. All right. Well, an, an example, Mike, of that would be, for example, I started uh, when I when I was where you were sitting. I, I was supposed to be the greatest rock and roll drummer and a lyricist and artist of all time, and now I'm teaching. So the the road is the road is long. Who wants to be having be my brother with me in the studio? <sighs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much for the call. You're not heavy. You're not heavy. <laughs> uh, are we almost out of time? We are. So how much time do we have left? Do we have we have one minute. We have 60 seconds left. Why don't we, at this point, just uh, thank everybody who did listen. Thank everybody who did call and tweet. We will be back next week at 8 p.m. With, with uh, our special guest, e. Mike, Dr. E. Michael Harrington, intellectual property expert. And we'll be talking all about copyright infringement and whatnot. And uh, so today we want to thank Steve Leeds for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you. We want to thank Stu On for being our great student guest. Thank you. Want to thank Dr. Stephen Marconi. Well, thank you. And of course, our MC and sort of uh, well, master ceremonies this last hour, Dave Phil. And we also do want to thank our main man, our big producer, Philip Garahovsky. Philip is awesome, and Philip is seven feet tall, so you can't stay in the room with him because he's that big and that good. Thank you very much, Philip, for all that you've done for us today. We'll see you next week, 8 p.m., Brave New Radio. <laughs>